having this situation, I mean, the whitewashing in wellness, the elitism, the continual colonization, that's been going on for decades. However, I would say in the past year, this the, the rise of pseudoscience has become much more predominant and much more prevalent. And as a result of the pandemic, we saw this disconnect, I guess, emerge to its greatest heights that we've seen so far, not just in America, but around the world, and people beginning to be really concerned. And I think what illustrated that clearly was people affiliating themselves within yoga with QAnon. For decades, the practice of yoga, though widely known to have originated in South Asia, has been co-opted by white America. This has led to a commodification of the practice, of which the implications have been both harmful and far-reaching. Ignoring or simply not understanding the full dogma of yoga has led us down a dangerous path. Yoga teacher and wellness consultant Anusha Vijayakumar is one of the many voices saying that time is now to bring yoga back to its roots and make the full practice accessible for anyone interested in learning the eight limbs in a way that's respectful and non-appropriative. From Yoga Journal, I'm Lindsay Tucker, and this is The Yoga Show. Anusha Kumar is a wellness consultant working primarily at Hogue Hospital in Orange County, California. She's been heavily involved in research studies demonstrating the positive effects of meditation for breast cancer patients and maternal health. Her new book, Meditation with Intention, came out in January, and her new course with Yoga Journal, an intro to the Bhagavad Gita, drops in April. We're delighted to have Anusha on the show today. Anusha, good morning. Good morning, Lindsay. Thank you for being on the show today. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Where are you joining us from? From San Clemente, California. Ah, okay. How long have you lived there? Well, I'm originally from London, but I have mm -hmm. lived in four countries and I've been in San Clemente now for, I think it's been about eight years. So mm -hmm. quite a while. I've been in America for 10. Okay. And you like California? Oh, I love California. I lived in Connecticut for six months and I thought the Oof, weather was bad in London and, and I was in a short, sharp shock for the oh, winter yeah. in Connecticut. It made uh, London and England seem like a tropical paradise. Oh, totally. I used to live in Boston and I live in Denver now and everyone thinks Denver is cold. I'm like, heck no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No <laughs> I wasn't quite aware of the East Coast winter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ran away before the peak <laughs> of winter and came back to sunny California. Nice. Good. Good for you. Tell us about the work that you're doing in California hospitals where you're a wellness consultant. Some of the most important work I really feel that I'm doing is as a wellness consultant for Hogue Hospital, which is one of the top 100 hospitals in America, top 2000 in the Western world. I'm very blessed to lead on all of the meditation and mindfulness initiatives for their Women's Health Institute, as well as working at their Neurosciences Institute, and specifically really focusing, Lindsay, on women's health, which mm -hmm. is our maternal mental health program, our breast cancer survivorship program, our metastatic breast cancer program, and working with those women that are at a high risk because of a genetic mutation of developing breast or ovarian cancer. Alongside that, I also do work at our acute rehabilitation addiction unit within the main hospital. And honestly, working in evidence-based integrative medicine is something that truly brings me great joy because yoga is a part of my indigenous faith. It is a philosophy. And ultimately, it's an ancient science. Yeah, I think you mentioned, you know, being a woman in STEM and being able to integrate your ancient 
um, lineage, with your Western medical knowledge. Um, and I think that is really so important because we have sort of seen a wave of anti-science rhetoric and just seems like what we really need right now is is looking at this from all angles, right? Where we can integrate all different sciences. Absolutely. I think the past year in particular has shown us what chaos we are in within yoga and wellness and the rise of the anti-science rhetoric, the anti-mask rhetoric, uh, that the pandemic isn't real, which ultimately is it goes against, you know, the first few yamas of ahimsa, of satya, of asteya, which is nonviolence, truth, and non-harming uh, and non-stealing. So, and, mm -hmm. and when we talk about asteya specifically, we think about the harm that's created by feeding into this anti-science rhetoric and wellness and not believing in wearing a mask and, and refusing to wear one in indoors in public spaces that require it. And I live this reality. For those of you that might be tuning in thinking, you know, well, that doesn't happen where I live. It certainly happens where I live. Yeah. Tell us what you've seen. Well, Orange County has made national and international news mm -hmm. in yoga. I'm not sure if our viewers are aware, I last October wrote an article for InStyle called The Rise of White Supremacy in Wellness, which was specifically, and yoga, which was specifically focusing on what yoga teachers are doing within uh, what's happened over the past year, being anti-Black Lives Matter, being anti-mask, and actually being involved in the insurrection and domestic terrorism, which seems to surprise a lot of people. But interestingly, the article actually went viral around the world. And I was inundated with people reaching out to me saying that this is happening in many other places as well. It's mm -hmm. not just happening in America. And it's deeply concerning because again, this is the antithesis of what yoga is. And because of the continual colonization of these ancient sacred practices, Lindsay, we have this disconnect in this space. Yeah. Now, what were some of the uh, most outrageous anecdotes that you are hearing from people around the world from what they were experiencing? Very similar around the anti-science. So it kind of began mm. there. I would say the pandemic, and we've been having this situation, I mean, the whitewashing in wellness, the elitism, the continual colonization, that's been going on for decades. However, I would say in the past year, this the, the rise of pseudoscience has become much more predominant and much more prevalent. And as a result of the pandemic, we saw this disconnect, I guess, emerge to its greatest heights that we've seen so far, not just in America, but around the world and people beginning to be really concerned. And I think what illustrated that clearly was people affiliating themselves within yoga with QAnon. Yeah. And that, again, is, is deeply problematic very harmful. And one of the, I guess, the gateways into all of this is the harmful and toxic spiritual bypassing that we've seen in yoga as well for, for many, many years with the, the slogans like, we are all one, you know, I'm sending love and light, or mm -hmm. I don't see color. And I think honestly, we're at a pivotal time within the yoga space where we can really start to unpack some of these terms, Lindsay, and really look deeper. And quite frankly, if we don't, we see what's happened. And I see that myself in the community that I live in, in San Clemente, California, where people are saying that they are living yoga, they are teaching yoga, but in fact, that couldn't be 
further from the truth, not just with the man that I wrote about, but with yoga studios, yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, and the list goes on. And every single one of us can make an impact in our community, be it through our practice, be it through our actions. And to me, this is a a grave time in wellness where we have to think about tangible ways in which we can decolonize our yoga practice and be anti-racist and have a return, quite frankly, to believing in evidence-based science. Yeah, that is um, a heavy lift. (laughs) You know, I was about to say, (laughs) yeah, how can we start to do some of this stuff? Um, Yeah, we just have to like untangle all of our thinking of everything that we do. So what steps can you recommend? You know, and like you said, this isn't something that's going to happen. We can't just wave a magic wand. And Lindsay, to that point, you know, we have to move away from the tokenism. Just, you know, even if you have the best intentions, intention doesn't equal impact. And sharing an empty hashtag or a black square doesn't solve anything. Even reading one book isn't going to solve anything. We have to go back to me to really understanding what is yoga? And that is the problem. People have no concept of what yoga is. They have no concept of the spirituality and the deep philosophy behind this ancient sacred practice. So we have to begin there. We have to have more inclusion of South Asian voices, especially those of us that were raised with yoga being one of the six orthodox schools of Hindu philosophy. I was blessed to be raised in the philosophy of Sanatana Dharma, which means eternal truth. And Hinduism is what we, the modern name for Sanatana Dharma. And that's the disconnect. If we have no concept of what yoga is, if we don't understand that there are eight limbs far beyond asana, which is just one of the limbs. And if we are engaging in that toxic spiritual bypassing and very harmful cultural appropriation, which we are seeing from not just white folks, but non-South Asian people of color as well, we feed into that misunderstanding of the deep essence, the timeless wisdom that is yoga. And we have to return to understanding it and having more inclusion of authentic voices in this space. And alongside that understanding that being anti-racist is a pivotal part of our practice right now. And Mm -hmm. with the knowledge that yoga is in fact social justice, our scriptures, I teach this, I've been teaching decolonization for five and a half years now, very unpopular when I began, Mm -hmm. you know, excited to, to see that people are far more interested in having these conversations now. But the Bhagavad Gita and the Ramayana talk about the path of of social justice. Yeah. So every time we post anything even slightly social justice related on Yoga Journal Social, there is, you know, there is overwhelming support, but there is also overwhelming backlash from people who just want to say like, high vibes only, this isn't yoga. And it's a conversation that we've had internally and I've been having with community members over and over again because I don't understand where this rhetoric came from and why it's so pervasive. Well, I think, honestly, the answer to that question is when we whitewash an ancient, sacred Indian faith and philosophy, this is where we are, because that's the disconnect. And then you also see people that are teaching, and I see this in my own community, teaching the eight limb path, but have no concept of what the eight limbs are. And just saying, oh, yes, you know, I'm practicing nonviolence, yet I'm continuing to engage in harmful spiritual bypassing. I'm not speaking up when BIPOC community members are being gaslit. I'm not really saying anything when racism is rife in the community that I live in. And the desecration of yoga is the 
problem. If we, we have to unlearn, Lindsay, a lot of what mm-hmm. we have been told yoga is in the West, and that has to be the starting point. And so to your point, we have a lot of work to do, but what I see is, you know, some members of the, of the wellness community don't want to do the work and want to almost pinpoint BIPOC voices that are speaking out as troublemakers or as being uh, divisive. And I've had this myself. Mm. And to me, it's even more important. And you're not alone. You know, Yoga International, other other platforms have the same issues when they Mm -hmm. post about these things. But the onus and responsibility is us as, as leaders in this field, especially as Yoga Journal that has a huge platform and others to continue to educate because it's mm-hmm. only through education that awareness happens and change can then manifest. If we keep towing the line and repeating the same empty slogans and not and kind of feeding into this current narrative, we're never going to see change. And change is uncomfortable, Lindsay. But mm-hmm. that's why we practice yoga. If you're not feeling uncomfortable in your yoga practice, which is far more than asana, then I invite you to really question what you're practicing. And discomfort isn't my main goal in my practice is to do a handstand. You know, Sage Patha Yoga Sutras doesn't even mention asana because the ancient sages knew that we are not going to get to enlightenment in the physical postures. They are but one of the limbs. We shouldn't even be practicing asana if we're not focused on the yamas and the niyamas, which are our moral and personal observances. Mm-hmm. And honestly, what I see specifically in America is that disconnect where if people would spend time focusing on learning the other seven limbs as they do with asana, we wouldn't see the disconnect that we've seen over the past year. And, you know, the way that I look at it, there are so many poor people, like you said, there are so many more people that are interested now in learning mm-hmm. and interested in unlearning and interested in learning from authentic voices. You know, part of the issue, quite frankly, Lindsay, is how many white men are teaching Hindu philosophy. Part mm-hmm. of the issue as well, which is something that I, I, one of the reasons I wrote my book is why are the top five authors in Hinduism not Hindu and not South Asian? Yeah, that's very troubling. And that's the fact. And that's the, the, the place and the space that we are in. And when we see this erasure of South Asian voices in yoga, we see the result and the very detrimental result of this cultural erasure and this erasure of what is our indigenous faith and philosophy and something, Lindsay, that makes up the fabric of my life. And I speak about this in my book. You know, my history, my I was born in London. I've lived in four countries. My parents are both Tamil, they're Sri Lankan. And Our ancestors had to resist 443 years of colonialism by three different Western imperialist regimes that were brutal. Mm -hmm. And so for me, sharing my indigenous faith is something that is very, very sacred and special to me because of the resistance that my ancestors had to go through in order for us to hold on to our faith, our culture, our language. Mm -hmm. And then to see what yoga has become in the West is it saddens me, it really does, because if all of us could just even have a glimpse of what the true essence and message of yoga is, which is unity, we wouldn't be seeing the rise of hatred, the rise of racism, the rise of anti-Semitism, bigotry, etc. 
all happening within the yoga and wellness space. The Yoga Show will return in a moment after these messages. So I think what you're getting at is how yoga has become such a commodity, right? And, you know, this happens with anything, especially when in Western culture, you know, when capitalism is king and as soon as we get a hold of something, you start to see the whitewashing and the the dumbing down. And so I do think that there is finally a movement to go back to the roots and to understand and um, study the philosophy. You know, you said something in your book that I thought was interesting because you wrote that people fail to comprehend that the essence of yoga is all about meditation. And that actually hasn't been my experience in the community recently at all. I, I see so many people who are like, yeah, I have a yoga practice, but you know, I'm not really into asana. I meditate. Um, and so I think that it's just some, something interesting where I do see that there is a greater interest in learning about some of these other limbs. But like you said, you know, there's eight. Most people might know two or three. So what can someone do who is interested in this path and who really does want to make a difference and, and learn what yoga, re- not just learn what real yoga really is, but also to help be part of the change? To actually unlearn what they have learned, learn from authentic voices And what I always say to people is yoga is meditation. The whole eight limb path is leading us into a meditative state so we can actually merge, you know, the individual consciousness, the jivatma can merge with the paramatma, which is the universal consciousness, which is what the whole eight limb path is about. Mm. So when we talk about accessible yoga, to me, yes, of course, we should be making asana more accessible and moving Mm -hmm. away from you know, Eurocentric beauty ideals, ableism, heteronormative ideals of of what we are shown in -hmm. mainstream yoga. But to me, meditation is yoga. And that Mm -hmm. means that meditation is accessible to everybody. Because as long as we can breathe, we can do yoga. So that to me is how we re-educate people. And honestly, asana is not accessible to to that many people, really, especially the Mm -hmm. way that it's taught in the West, whereas meditation is. So what I always encourage my patients to do within my clinical background and hospital setting and my private clients as well is to begin a meditation and mindfulness practice. That has to be the initial gateway because if we are actually meditating and we are, you know, tuning into divine consciousness, we see the beauty in diversity, Lindsay. We see the unity amongst all of humanity. And as a result of that, of course we want to uplift and alleviate the suffering of our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. That's just a given. That's a part of our practice. And to me, that's the biggest disconnect. This fear of other that I see, mm-hmm. that I've experienced firsthand within my own community, which is incredibly white. And also this lack of awareness. You know, when we think about Hinduism in particular, or the Dharmic faiths, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, there is no conversion. Because ultimately, we believe that all paths lead us to ultimate truth, which it says, you know, ekam sat vipraha bahuda vedanti. What does that mean? One truth. There are many paths to get there. My path isn't the only path. And I would never dishonor another path. Mm -hmm. And I always say to people, you don't even have to believe in God. 
right? Mm-hmm. God can be the God of your own understanding, be it source, be it spirit, be it the universe, be it light, whatever you want to call it. We are connecting to that source through our practice to ultimate reality in which we see that we are all in fact one. And how we move away from the spiritual bypassing is stop just throwing out the love and light and that we are all one and then doing nothing to create a world in which we can all be one. Mm. And we have seen, uh, you know, how... The negative response, I would say, within the yoga community to the Black Lives Matter protests and to what black people have faced for centuries in America specifically. And so when we think about sustainable activism, which is, you know, moving beyond allyship, uh, which could be, you know, the tokenistic hashtag or the square or wow, it's Black Lives, uh, Black History Month this month. Uh, What can Mm -hmm. we do? You know, buy a book. I just think what we can do is unlearn a lot of what we have learned within yoga and actually learn from BIPOC voices within yoga and wellness. And think about how you can actually begin to take your practice off your mat. And I hear from so many people from around the world, oh, I'm hearing a lot of the rise of QAnon and conspiracy theories, which by the way are rooted in racism and anti-Semitism. So what we can do is begin to speak out. And I think you know, to me, people heralded me as brave for writing the article. No, I know, you know, trust me, everything that ensued from the article was nothing that I would ever have wanted. This isn't what I get paid to do. This is because this is living the path of yoga. We have a duty, we have an onus, we have a responsibility to speak up in the face of injustice. And that is where our practice comes in, Lindsay, because then we have no fear. And I think for white folks in particular, you're the majority. And so therefore, there is the responsibility to speak out. Mm -hmm. You know, we have seen, I've seen this in my own community, silence leads not just to complicity, but to violence. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you're hearing alarming things within your own community, don't be afraid. Utilize your practice to have the courage, to have the strength, to speak out and to stand up and resist and to try to also educate and inspire people through your own practice to live and honor the essence of these sacred teachings. Mm-hmm. I do want to make sure we get to talk about your book, which came out in January. It's called Meditation with Intention. Now, what made you decide to write a book like this? The continual colonization of yoga <laughs> and the elitism and the whitewashing in summary. To me, Yoga is meditation and the clinical work that I do, I'm always educating our patients on the benefits of a meditation practice. I'm very, very lucky to be a woman in STEM and to actually be involved in clinical research with the meditation program that I created four and a half years ago. Yeah, how has your program been used in clinical research? So I'm one of the sub-authors. Two years in the making for Dr. Heather McDonald and I to come up with this piece of research and to secure funding through our generous donors at the Hogue Foundation to really explore my meditation program that I created and have been testing on my patients and clients for the past four and a half years and to look at the efficacy of this program in perioperative pain management for breast cancer patients. So we have now, we're almost halfway through our feasibility study. And honestly, Lindsay, I can't believe it myself, but 100% of the patients that we have inducted onto this research program have seen the benefits of meditation for not just perioperative pain management, but with their life. 
And that's when, you know, to me, honestly, I, I'm, I'm humbled, but I really believe that when we live our practice and we channel divine consciousness through every aspect of, of the work that we do, people pick up the results. And this is what karma yoga is, that selfless service to God. So I just view myself as a humble servant of the divine. I'm blessed to do the work that I do. I'll do it for as long as, as God sees fit. And to actually see the benefit of the program work in people's everyday lives is something that humbles me and delights me at the same time. Because mm -hmm. again, it, it proves my point that you don't have to ever have meditated before. And as my book talks about in great detail, five minutes can and will change your life. I see it in the lives of my patients and clients at Hoke Hospital every day. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the benefits that your breast cancer patients saw and what protocol were they doing? So the program is very simplistic. It's two meditations a day. The first is a pranayama practice of exactly five minutes, and the evening meditation is focused specifically on deep relaxation to help with sleep. And I would say over the past year in particular, our cancer patients in general have been incredibly more stressed, as the world has been, mm -hmm. with the political climate in America, with the pandemic. And so we're seeing that they're coming to us with a multitude of issues. Honestly, their cancer diagnosis not being the, the, their foremost concern. It's life. Mm -hmm. It's stress, anxiety, and whether it's familial responsibilities, personal issues, work, and the list goes on. So what I'm finding is that they are coming to us for breast cancer or treatment but they're having a multitude of other areas of stress that's impacting their mind, their lives, their anxiety levels, and their sleep. And so they're actually really excited to begin the program for those reasons, and not necessarily just for their cancer diagnosis. And I can't even tell you the unsolicited feedback I've received from the patients, which again warms my heart, about the impact the program and meditation is having just on their lives. Uh, they've shared with me that it just makes the day more easier. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take all of their worries or problems away. It just better enables them to cope with what they have to do. Leading up to surgery, obviously, they're very concerned about COVID. We, California has been one of the worst impacted states and certainly mm -hmm. in Orange County because, again, we've seen that anti-masking, anti-science rhetoric that is prevalent throughout the county. You know, Certain areas have a higher community spread as a result of that. Thankfully, now we have the vaccination, uh, which can mitigate a lot of that. But people are afraid and they're not able to have loved ones with them as they used to now pre-surgery because of the restrictions in place. So I've had so many of them say to me, I was really nervous in the operating room and I was just doing your meditation. I was focused on my breathing and it really helped me, uh, not just with pain management, but just to cope with, you know, what we call in Eastern philosophy, the duality of life. That suffering mm. is an inevitable part of life. But in the West, we are taught to run away from it, shy from it. Like you said, that's the commercialization, the commoditization of these ancient sacred practices. When ultimately, if we are able to embrace our suffering and embrace the reality of our situations, and I talk about this in my book, Meditation with Intention, we are better able to cope with life and to find joy and peace along the way versus resisting our lives, our troubles, mm. and our worries. And so I would say that's one of the greatest benefits our patients have experienced is just accepting what is without resistance, without mm -hmm. judgment. And that comes from meditating. and Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is ultimately why we have the eight limb path. You know, asana is, is a wonderful gateway, I think, for many people to 
step into yoga. But I will say that I think that also has created a lot of that disconnect and the spread of misinformation. Because if asana is the gateway and then after 10 years you haven't learned any more about the eight limb path, it is problematic. And we also have, you know, teachers, teacher training programs that are teaching people that continue that colonization because they themselves have no awareness of what the actual path of yoga really is. And so this is spread into all of these communities through these teacher training programs, through teachers. And now we're seeing the harm that has been caused by that, which, you know, isn't just over the past year. This has been happening for, for many, many years. But I think the truly detrimental impact has come to light over the past year in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we had a lot of, I guess I, you would actually call them pyramid schemes, where <laughs> the point was just to pump out teachers with no, no intention of actually teaching or actually understanding. Exactly. And they don't have any diverse voices within the teacher training program. That used to be an excuse before because it was proximity. Oh, I can't find out. What I say to people is there's absolutely no excuse now. Everything is online. Mm -hmm. And even when things return to being in person, you can absolutely invite guest teachers from around the country or around the world to contribute to your training programs. There is absolutely no excuse now if you are leading a teacher training to not be including uh, BIPOC voices and specifically South Asian voices to be teaching philosophy because that's mm -hmm. also the disconnect. You know, on my own teacher training program, I had one of the teachers who, again, you know, didn't mean to offend, but referred to Lord Shiva who is the original Lord of Yoga, who we have many asana postures to do with and is one of the gods that we revere in, in Hinduism and Sanatana Dharma as a dancing Vega showgirl. That's what she called Natarajasana, which is dancer oh. pose. Oh my God. So, I mean, in many ways, Lindsay, that's actually what propelled me to, to create my decolonization training because I realized this person is one of the lead teachers of this teacher training program and this yeah. is the disconnect here. Right. And quite frankly, we shouldn't be referring to anybody's faith in that term, in those terms. Right. So be it Hinduism, be it Christianity, be it whatever faith, Islam, Judaism, we should be respectful. Even if we don't, we are not of that faith and we don't believe in it, be respectful of other people's faiths. Yeah. And that to me is also an aspect of yoga. I wouldn't dream of of doing half of what I see happening in the yoga and wellness space with cultural appropriation and that toxic, you know, spiritual bypassing. That's a byproduct right. of cultural appropriation which is rooted in white supremacy and racism. We'll be right back with more from the yoga show. It also comes back to recognizing that it is a faith, and that's part of the problem, is that, like you're saying, with spiritual bypassing, capitalism, white supremacy, we've gotten away from the idea that yoga is, is a faith. And honestly, this is what I see from everybody who is non-South Asian, Lindsay. And I post about this, you know, in my own social media because it's problematic. Yoga is a faith. But remember, that doesn't sell, Lindsay. So nobody talks about that. You know, we hear yoga is a lifestyle. Yoga is, you know, all kinds of things. And then we have so many different types of yoga coming out and tagging yoga onto the back of it, even though it has got nothing to do with yoga. Yoga is in itself a Sanskrit word because they know that it sells, which feeds mm -hmm. that continual coloniza colonization, commoditization and commercialization of these ancient sacred practices. And so 
Now we are in a, a wonderful pivotal time, if you will, where we can go back to honoring the of yoga. And if you want to teach just exercise, great. You know, that, that obviously has a big market, but don't call it yoga. Just right. call it fitness, call it exercise. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see that occur within the mainstream yoga space. There's nothing wrong with exercise. There's also nothing wrong with doing asana for exercise. I do it myself. But my ultimate goal, Lindsay, when I practice asana is connecting with divine consciousness and practicing the other eight, seven limbs. And that's the issue. You know, we see this within mainstream yoga where people spend, people either try and skip shavasana or they spend 20 seconds as part of their class in it when we know that that's the whole reason that we even do the asana to begin with, to ready and steady the mind and body to come into that place of stillness and quiet, which is why shavasana, shava in Sanskrit means corpse, is the most important part of an important pose in your asana practice. Mm -hmm. Yet we don't even see within asana that getting the level of time and respect and understanding that it deserves. Yeah, people have such a hard time quieting their mind. But that's why we need to do it. Yeah. We all have a difficult time quieting our mind. It's not easy. And the path of yoga isn't a quick fix solution. You know, Swami Yogananda, when he came to America in 1920s, spoke about the fadism of what was happening within, you know, the wellness. Obviously, it wasn't called wellness at the time, but even within the space that he was in, spreading the teachings of meditation and mindfulness and Kriya Yoga. And he was talking about the danger of fadism. And we see that everybody's rushing to sign up to this new training and go to this course and go to that class. But sometimes less is more. And we have to kind of consolidate what we're learning. And we have to give ourselves the time to be able to actually put into practice some of what we've learned rather than running from this to that, to that, that, to this, and and just feeding into that go, 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 go mentality within which of course we're never going to want to come to sit in quiet or stillness. We're never going to want to do Shavasana. We think what a waste of time. I could be doing an inversion in this time. I could be doing whatever, another pose. And that needs to be reframed by the teacher. And I think that's the problem. I've been in so many classes where if the teacher is not giving Shavasana the time and the importance that it deserves and it warrants, then of course the students aren't going to want to do it or really realize why we have that as the final pose. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because they themselves don't understand that and aren't practicing it in their way. They're focused solely on the physicality of a practice. Yeah. And bringing it back to meditation and your book, I think meditation paves the way for appreciating Svasana, calming the mind. And in the world that we live in, Lindsay, especially, you know, in 2020, we have to, we have to, we must find more time to come and sit in stillness and silence. And I know it's frightening to people. I know that, you know, for most people, the last thing they want to do is to sit in meditation. And that's why guided meditations are great. I have resources on my website. That's why the meditation program that I created for our patients at Hogue is both guided because it takes the work out of it. And I'm a firm proponent of the benefits of pranayama. Prana in Sanskrit means our breath, our life force. And what I see work with our uh, patients at Hogue that have suffered from addiction, multiple relapses, our cancer patients, our maternal mental health patients, 
is the power of our breath to reset the central nervous system, but to also reset our minds. And the more that we can utilize our breath as a tool for stress reduction, for anxiety relief, the more that we will want to utilize it and want to embrace a daily meditation practice. And that's why I always say five minutes, because mm -hmm. we spend five minutes doing nonsense. We all do. You know, we're scrolling through social media. We're watching YouTube videos. We're, we're doing nonsense. And what I say to my patients is do the nonsense by all means, but don't tell me that you don't have five minutes to sit in meditation because yeah. you will see the benefits within seven days. I see, and I see if the patients commit to meditating twice a day for seven days, they see the results. And that is the beauty of the timeless wisdom and essence of the path of yoga as a liberation. For, and a liberation from what? Our own internal anguish, our own mental suffering. Mm -hmm. Are there two times of day that you would recommend? I encourage, and I know that everybody is different and have, has different responsibilities. I always encourage my patients to begin in the morning with the morning mm -hmm. meditation. I mean, obviously for the research study, we do have more specific times that we want them to do it. But I always say to patients and clients, if you can do a five minute meditation practice within the first 30 minutes of rising, that would be optimal. And if you can end your day within the last hour of going to sleep at night, especially if you're suffering from sleep disorder issues. And by the way, sleep is a national public health crisis in America. Between 50 to 70 million Americans suffer from sleep disorders. Mm -hmm. And it, it's only grown over the past year. So if you're having sleep issues, which millions of people are, ending your day with a meditation practice, especially one that's focused on uh, deep relaxation, can really help to empty the mind, to clear the mind from anxiety and worry so you can have a more deep, restful, restorative night's sleep. Mm-hmm. And just circling back to your book, knowing who the gatekeepers are, I'm wondering what your experience was getting a book like this published. Difficult. <laughs> and, you know, that's part, and I presented at the Accessible Yoga Conference last year, and my whole presentation, Lindsay, was on the lack of representation in mainstream wellness publishing of BioWalk Voices. I was very lucky, but it shouldn't just be that way. I was mm -hmm. fortunate I have an agent I was able to secure a deal with uh, the world's largest independent publishing company of, of spiritual new age books. But I think I'm one of the very, very few South Asian women, especially in yoga and wellness, to be able to do this. And that's problematic. And I talk about this all of the time. It shouldn't just be me. There should be a, a multiple opportunities mm -hmm. for South Asians and other BioWalk voices to have their stories shared and told and to actually get book deals to do it versus having to self-publish. Right. And this is something that I at least am now seeing after the past year, more attention and focus being given to. But, you know, when I, and I wrote my book, I got my book deal three years ago now. I finished my book before the pandemic had even begun. Uh, and But I didn't realize at what a pivotal time the book would be released. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's all in God's timing. It's all in God's plan. But part of this and, and what I always do is advocate for greater representation and greater inclusion and diversity within the mainstream yoga and wellness environment. I actually co-founded a movement called Women of Color and Wellness, mm -hmm. which specifically focuses on this lack of representation within the yoga space. And, you know, quite frankly, before large yoga platforms and Yoga Journal yourself, and I, I'm appreciative that, you know, places like Yoga Journal, Yoga International, 
home stars, et cetera, have acknowledged they weren't as inclusive yeah. of BIPOC voices in the past. And there is still a lot of work to do. Yes. But ultimately, the work isn't going to be done if we don't do it and we don't do it together. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm excited to be working with you all at Yoga Journal, kind of focusing on this more, as I see the genuine commitment for change. And it's the same with all the platform platforms that I work across. Uh, nobody is perfect. And, you know, we all make mistakes, but if we're not able to recognize that and reconcile those errors, then the harm continues to be perpetuated. Yeah, it's definitely we understand how problematic Yoga Journal has been in the past. Um, You know, I've had a lot of soul searching myself in the past couple of years, certain incidences that have taken place where I'm like, do I really want to work here? But the end is that I really do want to be part of the change and ushering in the voices that deserve to be heard the most and that need to be heard. Exactly. And I must say that I am, you know, I used to buy Yoga Journal many years ago and then completely went off it because it was completely out of alignment with my practice, what I believe. Mm -hmm. But I am really excited to see the direction that Yoga Journal is going with under your leadership and Tracy's leadership Mm -hmm. and uh, Deanna's leadership. And I'm excited to be working with an organization that is supportive of of BIWOC voices specifically and really looking to collaborate with us. And I think it's that collaborative effort that was missing before. I mean, obviously just Mm -hmm. inclusion was missing before. (laughs) But then that collaborative piece was also missing where, you know, we know we know what we want to teach best. We do. Mm-hmm. And each of us has individual strengths and skills. And it's that collaborative approach that I uh, have resonated with, with Yoga Journal and the other platforms that I work with as well, that are really supportive of the work that I myself am doing and other BIWOC voices are doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, for you specifically, it, it must be exciting now to be able to be a pivotal part of that change. Yes. It's been a long time coming and it's there's been a lot of roadblocks and it has been very, I can't even tell you, demoralizing at times. Um, but just to finally be on a path that I can believe in and throw my whole weight behind, it's just wonderful. And And like you said, collaboration, it's all about collaboration. So for me, I just feel so grateful that I get to collaborate with all of these wonderful people. And I just love what you said, Lindsay, because it isn't easy, right? You know, when we try to create change, when we try to tune out the noise and go against the resistance, it's not easy. It's much easier just to go along with it. (laughs) However, we know that that's not the right thing to do. So what you've been doing is putting your practice into action in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And that's what we should all be doing. Wherever we go, we have to live our practice. And Thich Nhat Hanh, who's my favorite author, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk on mindfulness, said himself, make your life your message. And what does that mean? That means that wherever we go in life, we take our practice with us. And for you, that's meant sticking it out, going through the hard times because you had faith and you had faith that ultimately your voice would be heard. Mm -hmm. And we all have to have that faith. Change isn't going to come just by us giving up and thinking. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, that's a very privileged position to be in. Mm -hmm. And we have to acknowledge that, you know, it's easy to stay quiet about the colonization of yoga and racism and white supremacy when it isn't impacting you. Yeah. 
And so to me, there's nothing wrong with having privilege. I myself have a lot of privilege, even being a woman of color. However, what am I doing with my privilege to impact change? Not just in my own life, but in my community, in society, in the world around me. And that's really living, as far as I'm concerned, the essence of yoga and what our scriptures teach us to do. Because individual liberation, which is the ultimate goal of, of yoga, is intimately connected to collective liberation. So we can't have one without the other. Absolutely. And that just goes back, you know, to what we've been saying about social justice this whole time. Well, thank you. I think we are about ready to wrap up. I want to give you some time to tell us, is there anything that you would love to speak about that we haven't gotten to? We need to be meditating now more than ever. Mm -hmm. And meditation isn't going to work if you're just going to a workshop or even if you're just doing Shavasana, you have to be sitting in stillness daily. And five minutes is enough. And what I see all the time as well is people want to sit for longer because when we really experience the beauty of meditation, we don't want to come out of it. Because we Mm -hmm. see and feel and experience that peace that can only come from within. And so to me, when I think about, you know, decolonizing yoga, if I can inspire people to meditate, that's one of, to me, the greatest gifts that I can give to anybody around the world. And meditation is, should be accessible to everybody. And we have to move away from thinking that, you know, yoga is asana when yoga is in fact meditation. And I invite the audience, you can follow me at Shanti Within, and I invite you to attend some of my upcoming trainings. I actually have one coming up with Yoga Journal, Mm -hmm. which is an introduction to the Bhagavad Gita. And I'm really excited about teaching one of my favorite scriptures from an authentic South Asian perspective. Yes, when is the course releasing? April. April, okay. Yes. So it's coming out in April and it's live. So we're really excited about that. Obviously, if you can't attend live, you can have access to the recordings. But I'm really excited about coming together with the Yoga Journal community and studying one of the most, I would say, popular scriptures in Yoga, Mm -hmm. Lindsay, but also one of the most misappropriated and misrepresented. Misunderstood. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's very exciting. I can't wait to see it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited about that and working with the lovely Deanna. Deanna's amazing. Some more offerings as well. Well, great. And where can people find your book? You can order it at uh, from your favorite independent bookstore. Mm-hmm. You can find it on Amazon and you can order it directly, which is the link to Amazon from my website. And I'm assuming you'll just share uh, some of my contact details, Lindsay, to make it easier yes, for the audience. Yes, we absolutely will. Yes, we Perfect. will. Well, thank you so much. This has been a truly wonderful way to spend my morning. Uh, Thank you for inviting me on, Lindsay. And I'm really excited to be working with you and the team at Yoga Journal. Thank you. I am too. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us this morning. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Anusha for joining us on the show. You can find her on Instagram at Shanti Within. Don't forget to check out her new book, Meditation with Intention, and register for her Bhagavad Gita course at yogajournal.com slash courses. For more eye-opening, heart-filling, and mind-expanding content, join our members' exclusive experience, ActivePass, at yogajournal.com slash ActivePass. That's it for The Yoga Show for this week. Tune in two weeks from now to hear from our March-April cover model, Shayla Stonechild. The matriarchs were the leaders within some communities, and that got destroyed through the introduction of the Indian Act, which was established in 1876. So this 
tore away indigenous women from their well-respected roles within traditional societies and the Indian Act um, disrespected and saw indigenous women's voices and lives as disposable and so I think what's happened here throughout Canadian history has threaded to what is now happening with missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. The Yoga Show is produced by me and Aviv Rubenstein. Follow him on social media at Rainbow Calrissian. You can follow me on Instagram at lins.tucker. Theme music by Amory Sievertson. More from her at Amory Music on Instagram. Until next time for The Yoga Show, I'm Lindsay Tucker. We'll see you on the mat. For weekly yoga, meditation, and breathing exercises from some of the world's best teachers, check out our sister podcast, The Practice, at yogajournal.com slash podcasts.